I confess, she's gotten further than she thinks. She lives within. She's found my heart. This podcast is intended for those 18 and over. If that's not you, please come back when you are of age. Welcome to the Bedpost Confessions podcast. Bedpost Confessions is an Austin-based live storytelling series featuring smart, sexy stories. The highlight of each show is the participation of audience members who have a chance to share their own secrets, wishes, and regrets in the form of anonymous confessions, which are then read aloud during the show. So since our main stage show about sex has gone quarterly, we have begun experimenting with other events. You know Bedpost to deliver a kick-ass show centering on the varying facets of sex and sexuality, but unfortunately, life isn't only about sex. We know that sharing stories has transformative power, so we thought let's take what we have done with sex and apply it to other topics. Using our same format of four storytellers and confessions from the audience, we produced a new show called Unspoken. Debuting on June 18, 2015, the show's first theme was loss and gain, with stories about parenting, growing up, confusing childhood experiences, death, and new life. Thanks to all our fantastic storytellers and confessors, the night was a success, and there will be more Unspokens in the future. One of the featured storytellers of that night, Kate Caldwell, relayed a time in childhood where she lost some innocence and gained confidence as she faced stranger danger head on. Here is Kate with Monsters Out There. We live in a world full of monsters. Some are mythical, some are animal, and some are human. People who are, at their core, predators. I learned this for the first time when I was eight years old. I grew up here in Austin, which these days makes me a unicorn. Our house was at Steck and Mopac, uh, back when that was like the northwest fringe of town. Our neighborhood was fine. It wasn't like fancy, but it was very suburban, pretty safe. My sisters and I spent a fair amount of time outdoors. Our house was on a corner lot at the bottom of this really big hill, and we had this amazing oak tree in the front yard that was like the perfect climbing tree. We knew our neighbors. Uh, most had children the same age as us, and there was also this elderly widow that lived across the street, Mrs. Martin, who we would visit often, not entirely invited. Um, I think because of our grandparents, we thought that like old people in general just wanted us around and loved us. So we would just kind of show up at our house like, hello, let us in. We're here to eat your hard candy and entertain you with song and dance. Uh, but she had a daughter and grandkids out of state, so I don't think she actually minded too much. She also had a very steep driveway, and she would always park her car in the garage. And one of my very favorite things to do was ride up the big hill next to my house, coast down all the way up and down her driveway and then head back up the hill kind of in this like infinity loop of bike riding. Uh, and that's what I was doing one day. I was at the top of her driveway when this beat up blue truck pulled in right next to me and parked. I looked over and saw a man. He had shoulder length dark hair, a mustache and like this camo bucket hat pulled down over his face. Uh, and I just assumed that he was Mrs. Martin's son-in-law. Uh, 
She had a daughter. He was there. Clearly, this was her son-in-law there to visit her. So I didn't think too much of it uh, and moved my bike over into the yard to leave that way. As soon as I moved, he pulled out of the driveway and into the street next to the curb, perpendicular with me, blocking my bike, which I thought was like really weird. I was like, why is Mrs. Martin, why is Mrs. Martin's son-in-law leaving before he even said hi? I was really sticking to that narrative. Uh, then he rolled down the passenger side window and asked me what my name was. I did not want to tell him, but I also didn't want to be rude. So I decided to just be honest and say, I don't think I'm supposed to tell you that. Uh, he asked me where I lived. I said, I don't think I'm supposed to tell you that either. He, I had a downward view into his truck and I could see that he had something in his lap. To put it delicately, he was exposed and playing with himself. He asked me if I had ever seen one of these before. Now, eight-year-old me had never in her life seen an adult man's penis. Never, not once. I have two younger sisters. Uh, we shared a bathroom with my mom, and my dad had his own bathroom that was like a sanctuary for him that we were not even supposed to go near. But, I did not want to admit to this man that I didn't know something, you know, like a weakness. So I was just like, yeah, casually. In my mind, I'm like, oh my God, I think that's a penis. I don't know, but I think that's a penis. Externally, I'm just like, yeah, no big deal. Then he asked me uh, to get in the car. And that's when it clicked. This man was trying to kidnap me. I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, they said this would happen and it's happening. <laughs> Reason number one why I was not the kid to try this on. I had from a very early age a preoccupation with being kidnapped. In 1985, my grandfather got a video camera and we started this tradition in my family of making movies at Christmas. Our one that year was a Star Wars remake. One of my cousins was Luke Skywalker, one was Darth Vader. My grandmother had gotten a fur coat, so she was Chewbacca. <laughs> it was pretty amazing. And my mom wanted me to be Princess Leia, which I flatly refused because Princess Leia got kidnapped. Let me tell you, for me to turn down something with princess in the title was a big deal. Uh, but I was not even going to be pretend kidnapped. My younger sister, Kimberly, wound up being Princess Leia. I played an original role, Princess Sarah. <laughs> princess Leia's cousin, who is not kidnapped, but does go along voluntarily when Princess Leia is kidnapped. Now, the realization that this man was trying to take me didn't actually scare me. It, it helped make a lot of things that I had found confusing make sense. Or I should say it didn't scare me for me. I now knew that this was a kidnapper and uh, I was going to do everything that I could to keep that from happening. But my two younger sisters were across the street playing in our yard and they didn't know that he was a kidnapper. My middle sister, Kimberly, was six. My youngest sister, Courtney, was three, and I had to get over there to protect them. But he was in my way. He was literally in between me and my sisters. And I also knew that distance was kind of the only thing that I had going for me at this point. 
He asked me again to get in the car. I think I said no, but I'm not entirely sure. But I did start slowly walking my bike kind of down the hill at a diagonal. I think he assumed that I was going to get in the car. He leaned over to open the, drive, the passenger side door, and I saw my moment. I hopped on my bike, flew across the front of his car, skipped the curb into my yard, and got off my bike, turning around just in time to see that he had followed me. He was pulling up over into our curb. Uh, but he was further away now. He was maybe 10 or 12 feet, and I was behind him. Uh, I could see that the bed of the truck was full of junk. He opened the door and uh, asked, asked us what our names were. I said, we're not going to tell you that more to my sisters than to him. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how much dialogue passed between us. I know that he asked us to come get in the truck so that he could show us something. And my youngest sister, Courtney, who had come near me, headed over there. I grabbed her and said, you need to leave. He didn't leave then, uh, but he did leave shortly after, saying as he drove away that he would see us again soon. I waited until he was safely out of view before I ran inside and was like, Mom! Mom, we were almost kidnapped! My mom was like, excuse me? She and my dad had been like inside watching a football game this whole time. Uh, and I was like, Mom, Mom, there was a man outside and he tried to kidnap us and he tried to kidnap us and uh, Mom, he tried to kidnap us. And she's like, Catherine, look me in the eye and tell me if this really happened and I mean really happened which was fair. I had, a fantastic, I had a fantastic imagination as a child, and that created a very nebulous relationship with the truth. <laughs> but it had happened, and I told her that, and I told her also that I knew how they could find him. Reason number two why I was not the kid to try this on. My parents volunteered with the Don't Mess With Texas campaign quite a bit, and I developed the habit as we drove around of looking for litterers, and if I saw one, memorizing their license plate number to give to the police so that they would get a ticket. Which, by the way, never happens. The police don't give tickets when you tattle on someone for littering. <laughs> but as I had stood behind this man's truck, as he had tried to convince me to get in it, I memorized his license plate number to give to the police. And uh, my mom believed me. And we headed next door to talk to our neighbor, Manuel Fuentes, who was also a detective with the Austin Police Department. And reason number three, why really, just not the kid. <laughs> Maybe uh, later that week, my mom picked us up from school and instead of going home like we normally did, we went downtown to the police station. They gave me binders of mugshots to look at, um, not to pick out a person, but to kind of uh, pick out similar features so they could get a composite, uh, which was very frustrating between like all of his hair and the mustache and the bucket cap. I really hadn't gotten a good look at his face and it is only as an adult that it has occurred to me that that was intentional because he was driving around trying to pick up children. Then after that, I went to a room where they had me pick out an anatomically correct doll and reenact the entire scene with a detective. And then I got to go to this room filled with toys and pick one out. I picked out a bear that I later made a policeman's uniform out of felt and hot glue that was terrible and ruined the toy. 
Maybe two weeks after that, my mom got a call that they had caught him. He had a record for similar things, and there had been other incidents that had been reported around this time, including one after mine. The police told my mom that one of the reasons why they caught him as soon as they did was because they had his license plate number. He pled guilty, and there was no trial, which I found incredibly disappointing because you guys, I was ready to be a witness. <laughs> I was gonna get up there in that box, tell my story, tell him what happened, and maybe sing a song. <laughs> I didn't find this event particularly traumatic as a child. Um, as far as lasting effects go, I'll say that I don't have a lot of time for predatory people. If I feel that someone is after me for something or crosses too many boundaries, I'm out. I leave and I don't feel guilty. And I'm not sure that's entirely a bad thing. I think, um, you know, that at the time, the true consequences of what would have happened just never occurred to me. Uh, being taken was bad enough. I didn't have the world knowledge or the language even to think about what I was going to be taken for. Um, it is only as an adult that it occurred to me that he was taking me to molest me or rape me or whatever. I don't think about the what ifs too much. I am just happy that I got out as unscathed as I possibly could. And I got out unscathed due in a large part to privilege and luck. I was privileged to live in a neighborhood where a man creeping around in a truck was noticeably off an outlier. I was privileged to have parents that talked to me about the situation and what to do if it happened. I was privileged that the adults involved believed me and did something about it, particularly the police that doesn't always happen. And I was lucky that this man who wanted to hurt me was a stranger. He was somebody that I didn't know and not someone that I had been told to trust, which is usually the case. I do think, though, that it was also, I got out as unscathed as I did, because while I learned that there are monsters out there, I also learned that they can be beaten. They're real, and they're scary, and they win entirely too much of the time, but they're not infallible. They can be outsmarted, they can be captured, they can be taken down sometimes even by an eight-year-old girl. Thank you. Kate Caldwell is an Austin native with a BA in theater and dance from UT Austin. She's a performer and writer, as well as the producer of the live storytelling show, Testify. Kate's hate bios, but loves fried chicken and beer. More at testifyatx.com. Bedpost Confessions is produced by myself, Mia Martina of MiaOnTop.com, Sadie Smythe of SadieSmythe.com, and Julie Gillis of JulieGillis.com. Podcast audio production by Ian Danskin of Innuendo Studios. You can find links to all of our websites and more information about Bedpost Confessions at BedpostConfessions.com. Find Bedpost Confessions most active on Facebook and less so on Twitter. Until next time, we'll leave you with a few other confessions from the audience. I confess that I'm still super melancholy about the fact that I call things off with my girlfriend in order to save my marriage with my husband. I was so thrilled at having my first relationship outside of my marriage, and 
how well it was progressing that I didn't see how close I was to losing so much more. Yesterday I had to tell her that I couldn't even text platonically with her. It still hurts.